Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Seventeen years ago, the Defense Department launched a $100 million project to revolutionize prosthetic limbs. The robotics that investment inspired is amazing, but even more remarkable is how the feeling of feeling So if I hold this right here is returning to people's lives. I can feel that. I feel it here and here. What has happened to the women of Afghanistan since the American military left Kabul? To find out, we went, of course, to Rwanda. Yes, Rwanda. How are you all doing? Great. This is the story of a brave Afghan woman who helped evacuate more than 200 Afghan girls and educators to safety in Africa, where they're studying in hopes of one day returning to their homeland. You think that you'll become leaders? Yes. I want to be a surgeon. I want to help poor people in Afghanistan. I want to be a politician. A politician? Yeah. And finally, from Zara... I want to be a spy. A spy? Yeah. (laughs) I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Cecilia Vega. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. 
Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We don't often think about how the sense of touch makes our lives possible. We grip a paper coffee cup with perfect force to hold it, but not crush it. Our feet always find the floor. But for people with artificial limbs or those with spinal injuries, the loss of touch can put the world beyond their grasp. Seventeen years ago, the Defense Department launched a $100 million project to revolutionize prosthetic limbs. The robotics you're about to see is amazing. But as we first reported earlier this year, even more remarkable is how the feeling of feeling is returning to people like Brandon Prestwood. For me, it was, it was a battle if I wanted to live or die. You weren't sure you wanted to live? No. I didn't know if I wanted to or not. Brandon Prestwood's battle began with the loss of his left hand. In 2012, he was on a maintenance crew reassembling an industrial conveyor belt when someone turned it on. My arm was dragged in pretty much up to the shoulder. It crushed my bones in my arm and uh, fed my arm through a, a gap about one inch. How did they save your life? The other maintenance guys jumped in, they started basically taking the machine back apart. Uh, once we got it back apart, I could look in and see what was there. And uh, one of the gentlemen was a Vietnam veteran. And the Vietnam veteran knew what to do? Yeah. The Vietnam veteran knew tourniquets, but Prestwood lost his hand and couldn't return to his job. Go eat this. Yeah, that sounds good. After four years with a hook, he told his wife Amy he wanted to volunteer for experimental research involving surgery at the VA. I was not 100% on board to start with, but I knew he had his mindset that he, was, he had to do this, and I, I couldn't hold him back. Six years later, thanks to Defense Department and VA projects, Prestwood controls this hand with nothing but his thoughts. Everything still feel good? Probably when I get her turned around here. Electrodes implanted in muscles in his arm pick up his brain's electrical signals for movement. A computer translates those signals to the hand. How about the middle finger now? Sensors in the plastic fingers are connected to nerves in his arm to return a basic sense of touch. Close your eyes, tell me when you're feeling each of these. Which he can demonstrate with his eyes closed. Pinky. Index. That's not bad. Middle. 
still requires a little bit, but it's not bad. Biomedical engineer Dustin Tyler leads this research at Case Western Reserve University and the Cleveland VA. Touch is about connection. It's connection to the world. It's about connection to others. And it's connection to yourself, right? I mean, we never experience not having touch. It's the largest sensory organ on our body. All right, so go ahead. Tyler first attempted an artificial connection in 2012. He switched it on in a volunteer and wondered what would happen. So I was concerned, would it be his whole hand? Would it be painful? Would it not feel anything? We had no idea. Uh, so one of those big moments in my career was he came in, we first turned on the stimulus, and he kind of stopped for a second and he goes, that's my thumb. That's the tip of my thumb. This happened right away. First it time. didn't require any training of the brain. No, that was the beauty of it. My thumb. Brandon Presswood remembers the instant it happened to him. That's my fingers. I'm feeling my fingers that I don't have anymore. I'm feeling them. A definite feeling, he told us, but different. It doesn't feel exactly like my right hand. It's a tingling sensation. It's not painful. It's kind of like if, you're, if your hand's been to sleep, right at the end, right before it wakes up, that very, for me, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant tingling. Let's see if you can do it on cherry here. A tingling that's light with a light touch, but grows stronger the harder he presses. Eyes closed, he can pinch a cherry firmly enough to pull it from its stem, but not crush it. You can feel this is light. I had to use my lightest touch. Right, so if I hold this right here. With an empty eggshell. I can feel that. I feel it in, I feel it here and here. It's a feeling more than a decade in the making. At the beginning of this research, how did you even imagine that this would be possible? I didn't imagine. I, thought, I imagined that it was not going to be possible. Sleeman Benzmeyer at the University of Chicago is among the world's leading experts on the neuroscience of touch. In 2008, he joined the Defense Department's project to revolutionize prosthetics, but he didn't think the Pentagon knew what it was up against. There are a hundred billion neurons in the brain interconnected with a hundred trillion synapses. I mean, the, the, the human brain is like the most complex system in the known universe. Too complex, he believed, to target electrical stimulation to exactly the right neurons. And when we electrically stimulate, we activate hundreds, thousands of them at the same time in ways that would never happen naturally. It just seemed like that very impoverished interface with this nervous system would never do any, be able to do anything useful. And turns out I was wrong. He was proved wrong by his own research. How you doing, Scott? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Scott. With volunteers including Scott Embry. And you can feel that. I feel it on my fingertips. Whose movement and sense of touch are limited by a spinal injury from a car accident. Computer ports in Embry's skull are wired to the motor and sensory parts of his brain. Electrodes pick up the brain's electrical signals that were intended for the muscles. A computer translates those signals to the robot arm. We first saw this brain-machine interface 10 years ago at the University of Pittsburgh, but back then there was no sensation. Index finger. 
In collaboration with Pitt, neuroscientist Sleeman Binsmeya showed that signals for touch could be returned to the brain. How can you possibly know what part of the brain is the tip of the index finger? We took Scott and we put him in a functional magnetic resonance imaging scanner. And then we had him imagine moving his thumb, imagine moving his index, imagine moving his, his digits as we monitored his brain activity. And lo and behold, the sensory and motor parts of the brain that are involved in the hand lit up. Middle, brain, index. There are challenges. Eventually, the brain builds scar tissue at the implants, limiting the motor electrodes. But one patient's implants have lasted eight years and counting. Scott Embrys have been working more than two years. You have been a subject of this work for years now. Yes, sir. And I wonder why. I wanted to have someone else have the opportunity to become independent again. The most meaningful work of your life. Yes, sir. 100%. The greatest independence might be no prosthetic at all. And we saw this astounding possibility with a pioneer, Austin Began. His brain impulses are rooted not to a robot, but to implants in his own arm that fire his muscles. What function did you have in this hand before the implants? Oh, absolutely not. Nothing? Yeah. You couldn't move it at all? Nah, so the only thing I can do really is shrug my shoulders and kind of shift them. Uh, unfortunately, that was all that came back after my accident. His accident was on a vacation celebrating his college graduation. Diving into a submerged sandbar left him quadriplegic. Now, motor and sensory impulses flow through the ports in Began's skull and a computer, bypassing okay. his damaged spine. Relax, close. The research is led by Bolu Ajiboye, a biomedical engineer at Case Western Reserve University. Our goal is to restore complete functionality of the upper arm, including dexterous hand function and the ability to reach out so that Austin and others who have suffered you know, severe spinal cord injury can regain some level of functional independence. Bring my arm forward. The cradle under his arm only supports the weight. All of the motion is his own. It takes effort. He has to concentrate. A little bit quicker, open hand, relax hand. Close hand, relax hand, open hand, relax hand. And the computer needs frequent adjustment. How'd that feel? Good. Good. But his yeah. parents, Shelly and Brad, showed us where this could lead. Carrot, or would you like to have a nice granola bar? I'll take the granola yeah, bar. I figured. Began retained limited feeling after his injury, which makes him ideal for evaluating the artificial sense of touch. Point your finger. So if I can extend first. His motor skills. Let me open my hand for you. Continue to grow. Squeeze around it. You'll feel me really start to dig in right there. You got a grip. Yeah, it really is. I'm let go, yeah. I'm going to bring the arm back up. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank Amazing. you so much.
Amazing advances are coming quickly. Danny Werner okay. lost his foot in Vietnam. It's on. But 47 years later, he was reconnected to touch in an artificial foot. And you feel that on your toes? Yep. Which helps him balance, climb stairs, and walk on uneven ground. Brandon Prestwood's next device will replace some wiring with Bluetooth connections. Especially the thumb. Thumb's spot on. The cost of his experimental rig and surgery is estimated at roughly $200,000. But an eventual commercial system may cost significantly less while delivering moments that are priceless. What did that mean to you, to feel Amy's hand in yours? The world. I was a whole person again. I didn't have to worry about those dark thoughts creeping back in. It's just giving me back my husband, who <laughs> means the world to me. Um, he's his self again. Himself, because the feeling of feeling is so much of what makes us human. Maybe that's why, when we see a tender moment, it is said to be touching. I love you. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Whatever your view of the U.S. decision to end America's longest war and withdraw troops from Afghanistan, that country's fall to the Taliban in August of 2021 has unquestionably plunged that nation once again into a deep crisis. Millions are facing famine, and the economy is in shambles. Those suffering the most are Afghan women and girls, the Taliban has closed girls' schools beyond sixth grade and barred women from universities. That means that girls are banned from anything beyond a grade school education. Tonight, though, we're going to tell you a story of hope about a group of Afghan girls who are in school. As we first reported in February, they're at a school called Sola, the Afghan word for peace and also short for School of Leadership Afghanistan. It was started by a young Afghan woman named Shabana Basish Rasuk, who knows firsthand the power of an education. And though they had to flee Afghanistan in a harrowing escape, we found the girls of Sola back in the classroom, half a world away. 
These are the busy streets of Kigali, Rwanda, a landlocked African nation that was once the site of a horrific genocide that killed nearly a million and left two million refugees. Rwanda is now at peace and has become an unlikely place of refuge for almost two years to the girls of Sola. And they seem to be settling in. Are you ready for this? Yes. The evening we arrived at Sola's temporary campus here, the sixth and seventh grades were holding a geography competition. Spelling counts. Okay. Classes here are taught in English. Go! The girls were racing to identify nearly 200 countries all around the globe. They're wearing masks not to protect against COVID, but to hide their identities to protect their families still in Afghanistan. My name is Ahra. Zara's family has left the country so she can show her face. Saraya's and Najia's are still there. You knew every country in the world. Yes. You like it? it Yeah. You like contests? Yes. (laughs) They're so passionate. They're so active. They're so eager. They're so interested. Shabana Basij Rasuk is Sola's founder and single-minded leader. How are you all doing? At 32 and just over five feet tall, Shabana started creating Sola when she was still a student herself. Her story and her commitment to educating girls goes back to 1996, when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban the first time. She was six years old, and all girls' schools were closed. But Shabana's parents, a former general and an educator, refused to keep their daughters locked up at home. They heard about a secret school run out of a former principal's living room and saw an opportunity, despite the danger, for Shabana and her older sister to be educated. The Taliban did not allow women to go outside alone, so my parents dressed me up as a boy so that I could accompany my sister to and from that secret school. That was the best way that both of us could receive an education. Oh, my God. So they dressed you as a boy. My mom um, cut, cut my hair. I wore boys' clothes, pants, you know, pants and T-shirt, and, yeah, bus cut. And the family carefully mapped out their roots. You know, you take different streets every day so that you don't create a routine. The same shopkeeper at a certain uh, convenience store should not notice you every day. So you were always afraid, or they were always afraid you'd get caught. They never knew when or if we would return home. But even after a close call where Shabana and her sister were followed and begged their parents to stop sending them to school, her mom and dad said no. They told us things like, you could be forced to leave your home. You could be forced to become a refugee. You could lose any material possessions that you have. But the one thing that can never be taken away from you is your education. When the Taliban fell after the U.S. invasion in 2001, Shabana went to a real school for the first time, and she excelled, winning a place in a State Department program to spend a year of high school in the U.S. I was randomly placed uh, with this lovely host family in uh, Wisconsin, uh, where I gained 40 pounds. (laughs) But that wasn't the only way the year changed her. What struck me the most was living in a society um, for the first time in my life where girls had no concerns whatsoever 
that their freedom to attend school could be taken away from them anytime, which is something that every single Afghan girl who's lucky enough to go to school lives with. And you can't blame them, can you? No, I can't, because Afghanistan is the only country in the world that won't let girls go to school. Yeah. So, um, why are you tearing up? Um, that Afghanistan's the only country? Mm-hmm. Shabana's commitment to her homeland runs deep. When she got a scholarship to attend Middlebury College in Vermont, she started working not on building a great life for herself in the U.S., but what she could do for Afghanistan. Her answer? Start a school. And by the time she graduated in 2011, an early version of Sola was already up and running in Kabul. I heard that it's different. Uh, it's a leadership program. Fatima was an early Sola student. You were encouraged to speak up? Yes. You like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. I, I thought, like, it's, it's such an awesome school. Fatima's two younger sisters, Aideen and Sajia, took notice. Sajia got in next. And I was like, well, next year it's my turn. <laughs> Aideen remembers trying to impress Shabana, the school's founder, in her interview. I was, like, reading a lot of books, and I was writing their summaries down. And I was like, you know what? I should take this and show her, like, I'm, I'm a smart kid. You should accept me here. <laughs> it worked. Aideen started as a sixth grader in 2016, the year Sola expanded to become a full-fledged 6th to 12th grade girls' boarding school, the only one in Afghanistan funded as a U.S. nonprofit through grants and donations. There were daily assemblies and the school's own special Pledge of Allegiance. We all are Afghans. We love Afghanistan. We will try our best and work hard to improve this beautiful country. Shabana's goal was both to educate her students and serve the nation by training a generation of leaders from Afghanistan's various regions and religious sects. My roommate was Shia and I was Sunni and it was my first time to talk to a Shia girl and it was so interesting to hear from her. Do you deliberately want the children of conservative families? We certainly uh, create an environment in which even the most conservative families in Afghanistan would feel comfortable sending their daughters. Do they? They do. Do you teach the Quran? We do. For these young women to be effective leaders of Afghanistan, they have to be great Muslims, great Afghans, and highly educated. At the start of 2021, Sola was thriving. Shabana had secured land in Kabul, and construction was underway on a new campus. There were a record number of applications, with students enrolled from all over the country, and Sola graduates were doing just what Shabana had envisioned. Fatima had finished college and was working at the Afghan Ministry of Finance. I was a professional woman. I was contributing. I also had all my friends who were educated women and men as well. So there was a little community. Yes. But the Trump administration had been negotiating with a newly emboldened Taliban, promising a withdrawal of U.S. troops. And then, in April of 2021, President Biden announced an unconditional exit. 
I've concluded that it's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. I knew then that it was a matter of time before it was going to be irresponsible of me to run an all-girls boarding school in Kabul. She came up with the idea of taking the whole Sola community, students and staff, abroad for a semester while the American withdrawal played out. So she started searching for a country, ideally one nearby, that would accept them. But the warmest response she got by far was from Rwanda, and she grabbed it. You were going to go to a place called Rwanda. Did you know anything? We all went and searched, and then we found out that it was in Africa. And I was like, wow, (laughs) oh my God, I'm so excited. Some of Sola's alums, including Sajia and Fatima, were asked to come as well. So was the idea at that moment that you were escaping and that you weren't going to come back for a while? No. The idea was that the security is getting worse. We would leave for a, for a you know, semester, and then if the security gets better, we would come back. If not, we would stay there for a year or more. What was the atmosphere in Kabul at that point? The provinces were, you know, falling one after another, but then we were not hoping for Kabul to fall this soon. The U.S. government wasn't expecting Kabul to fall soon either. As American soldiers prepared for an announced end-of-August departure, Sola brought in passport officials on August 14th to process the girls' paperwork for flights a few days later. They worked into the night, but unbeknownst to all of them, it was too late. The Taliban were closing in and would enter Kabul in just a few hours. It was 5 a.m. in the morning when I um, got a knock on my door. One of my teachers came and said that, you guys have to leave Sula in five minutes. And I said that, why? And she said, if the Taliban come, they will know that here is a school and they will kill all of us. All of the girls were shouting and all, all of us crying, what should we do? Taliban came to the Kabul and took all of Kabul. In the chaos of the Taliban takeover and government collapse, Sola quickly sent students home with teachers and staff. Shabana scrambled to transform what was to be an orderly departure into a sudden, life-threatening escape. But first, she had to keep a promise, one she'd made years earlier to a student's father. He said, promise me, um, when the Taliban come to Kabul, that you will burn my daughter's records. If they find out that she's a student here, and they will kill me and my family. So Shabana did something heartbreaking, set fire in the school's furnace and courtyard to the hard-earned records of all of Sola's students. It was incredibly painful. It felt like making them disappear. The girls of Sola, their escape from Kabul, and how they're doing today when we come back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Most of us remember the desperate, frantic crowds trying to get out of Kabul after the Taliban takeover in August 2021. Among them were the students, teachers, staff, and staff families of SOLA, 256 people in all. SOLA's founder, Shabana Basish Rasuk, managed to get all of them on U.S.-approved lists to leave the country. But getting them into the airport was another matter altogether. There were a series of Taliban checkpoints, so arriving together as a girls' school was out of the question. Sola divided the students into groups, with many posing as the children of staff members. The call went out for all the groups to head to the airport on the morning of August 17th. The previous day had been chaos. People had been clinging to airplanes, and crowds had descended on the airport. Sisters Fatima, Sajia, and Aideen prepared to go there together. We had our masks. Uh, we made sure our uh, scarves are put tightly, and we were wearing very long dresses. When we left, my mom was telling us that make sure that you don't do eye contacts with, with Talibs. So we were just really scared and then it was just like... If I look down, yeah. they won't look at me. Yes. Yeah. By the time we got closer to the airport, it was so crowded. The weather is hot and I have this black scarf and black mask and, and it's suffocating. People was pushing each other and shouting and all of the babies crying. I saw Taliban that they were um, they were shooting the guns and also the... They were shooting guns? Like the, the bullets. The sky. Someone took my scarf. It was in my head and then someone and the Talib saw me and I shouted and I said that they will kill me now. As a teacher quickly handed Najia a scarf, Fatima and her sisters were being jostled by the crowd. Everybody was pushing and in a moment I noticed that my sisters aren't there. At one point she was gone. So now it's just the two of you. I remember sitting there and then crying and I was like, I didn't, I don't want to go. Can we just stop here? You know, let's just go back. Honestly, I understand. I, I probably would have done just what you did. It was a tragedy, you know, with women having like their very young kids. I was like, I just can't take this anymore. I really didn't know what to do because she was not listening to me. And then one of Sula teachers came and told her that you got to stand up, go or stay here forever. And then uh, I took her hand and then we went. 
The three sisters were among more than a hundred Sola students and staff, including Shabana, who made it into the U.S. military-controlled airport to safety that day and were processed to leave on waiting jets. Shabana was told her name was on a Taliban hit list, so she should get out right away with them. But all the other students and teachers were still stuck in the crowds outside. Shabana refused to go. I knew if I, if I left, it was game over. Those who were stuck at different checkpoints had no way of getting through. People were pushing us, and there were... One of them was Zara. Taliban was saying sit, and there was no place to sit. Zara's group and others had to turn back, while Shabana spent a first sleepless night inside the airport. After two more days of waiting in these throngs, one last group of 52 was still stuck. Shabana asked a U.S. Marine captain to accompany her out of the safety of the airport and back to the Taliban checkpoint. Captain Nicholas Gray grabbed two members of his team and said, let's do this. You were in the airport and went out? And then went back. This is what you do. You have 10-year-old girls, 11-year-old girls, 15-year-old girls stuck on the other side. You do anything you can uh, to get them to safety. And she shouted, Sraya, Sraya, can this way? And I pushed, I pushed, I pushed, and I get her hand. And, and yeah. she pulled you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. These pictures were taken as the very last group of students and Shabana, after three days and two nights in that airport, boarded the military transport plane that would at last fly them away. She had managed to get everyone out, 256 people. You have to say to yourself, I did it. It's over. I got everybody out. It was finally having a moment to think about, oh, my God, this is it. Oh, oh, my God, this is it. So now you're looking to the future. We're leaving, you know, and I was taking with me from Afghanistan some of the best educated girls, women leaders in the making. I felt so heartbroken for our people, for Afghanistan. I felt heartbroken for the very people who are leaving. They are some of the most wanted talent in Afghanistan. And as soon as they step outside of this airport, they're going to be seen as unwanted refugees wherever they end up. Hello. But her students are having a completely different experience. In Rwanda, they have been welcomed. Good morning. How are you today? We found them dressed in new school uniforms, since each of them had fled with just a backpack. I love what you're wearing. Thank you. They're hand-sewn with Rwandan patterns to honor their adopted home. Do you like it here? Yeah. You wouldn't know they'd been away from their families for more than a year. Thank you. Sola's temporary campus here feels like a haven. It's a former hotel complex. Its restaurant now a dining hall, with classrooms converted from hotel suites. They're getting on with the business of learning, mastering math terms in English. 
With many of their Afghan teachers now resettled as refugees in other countries, Sola has brought in new teachers from abroad. That's great. Good job. This is a school for leadership. Yeah. You think that you'll become leaders? Yeah. Yes. I want to be a surgeon. I want to help poor people in Afghanistan. I want to be a politician woman. A politician? Yeah. Soraya wants to be an astronaut. Space woman. And finally, from Zara... I want to be a spy. A spy? Yeah. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. <laughs> How are the girls doing? Our students, our girls have been consistently and remarkably focused. It is beyond inspiring to see these young girls who know. They have no idea when they are going to be able to reunite with their families. But though they're more than 3,000 miles away, one by one, please. it is the 21st century. One of the most striking scenes we saw here was the daily hour after classes end when girls can call their families. Watching them scattered around the room is to feel the tremendous separation. But Chibana also sees the closeness. Yesterday I was watching swimming practice. One of them said, I've been wanting to learn how to float for such a long time and I can finally do it today. And I asked her, I said, do you share these kinds of moments with your family? She said, I share every single thing with my family. And they are so happy for me. They tell me that they are happy because I am happy. What's the reception? been like in Rwanda? Remarkable doesn't quite capture it. I've had this conversation with so many Rwandans saying, please don't forget, we were also once refugees. Here we are, back in Rwanda. You will go back home, but for the time being, welcome home to Rwanda. Why does that happen? Did I throw it? No. In Earth, uh, there is gravity. Watching these girls learn, we were struck by the realization that they're among the only Afghan middle and high school girls out of a country of 40 million who are getting a formal education. Title slide, picture title name. But knowing how fortunate they are has made hearing the news from Afghanistan that much more painful. Fatima's female co-workers at the Ministry of Finance have all been replaced. My female colleagues received phone calls saying that they should send one of their male family members to work instead of them. So, so wait a minute, they were being told to send male relatives to take their, jo their jobs? As long as they can uh, do the job, they should send them. A year ago March, the Taliban announced that girls' schools would reopen. Girls flocked in, only to be told hours later to go home and stay there. <laughs> All over social media were videos of these young girls crying. And then I was so mad on everybody for, for not doing anything. You mean the rest of the world? This bunch of men has taken the control of an entire country, and then they're doing whatever they want. Women have been ordered to cover themselves head to toe again. They're banned from public parks, and just months ago banned from universities as well history repeating itself. 
And if there's one member of the solar community who understands what Afghan girls today are facing, it's Mariam, the school's longtime cleaning woman and now seamstress. She knows the power of an education because she never got one. The Taliban were in power at that time. I mean, the first time the Taliban were in power. I was not allowed to go to school. Girls could not study. Miriam, um, can you read or write? I would really like to, but I can't. If I could have gone to school, I would have been very happy. It was very hard for me. But there is something that makes her happy these days, watching her ninth-grade daughter, Zarmina, who is now a student at Sola. Talking about Zarmina's future, we finally saw Mariam smile. Are you proud of your daughter? Yes, yes, yes. We cannot, under any circumstances, submit to Taliban's vision for Afghanistan. And what does that mean for us? It means continue to educate more Afghan girls. But how? Well, she's recruiting them over Zoom from Afghan refugee communities and camps in countries around the world to bring them here to Rwanda. What should the U.S. government be doing, in your view? The one thing that the U.S. policymakers cannot, cannot afford to do is to forget about Afghanistan. Do not look away. Do not look away from Afghanistan. I cannot emphasize that enough. And what she wants them to see, alongside the ongoing tragedy in that country, is Sola's vision, educated girls committed to one day being leaders of a different Afghanistan. We all are Afghans, they say. We love Afghanistan. We will try our best and work hard to improve our beautiful country. You say this every day. Yeah. yeah. We repeat it every day that it, uh, it's like in our heart. Do you all think you'll go back? Of yeah. course. Of course we will go. <laughs> Is it possible that you won't go back to Afghanistan? Is it possible? I spend every waking hour preparing for a return. It will happen. I've borrowed a stone from the airport. I need to return. Since our story first aired, Sola has continued to bring new Afghan students from around the world to Rwanda and is developing an online academy called Sola X. And in June, Shabana spoke to the UN Security Council, urging the world not to look away from the plight of Afghan girls. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.